Good morning. Well, this is fun. This is my uh, first time to speak at uh, the new location here. And uh, this is the first time I'm here. We didn't do a sound check, so this is the first time I'm hearing my voice in this room. How, how does it sound? Yeah. Add the bass. Ian has that deep bassy voice, and I always feel when I get up, it's not nearly as commanding. So yeah, turn the bass up there, Bethany. We'll get it going. Uh, for those who uh, don't know me, my name is Mike Burns, and I am the director of uh, Resoul Youth Center, which is here in Milton. Uh, I'm also the former youth pastor uh, of this church, Southside Community Church. And uh, you know you're at home when, when people hear that you're speaking and they're like, well, I'm out of here. Uh, be- <laughs> because that's what family does, right? Family, they, they razz you, they give you a hard time. And, and not just one, Al, but many uh, this morning have actually poked fun at me for various reasons about me speaking this morning. But uh, it's, uh, it's great to be here, and uh, Southside is, is very much uh, our church family. And uh, even when I left, for those, again, who don't know me, uh, when I left to follow some dream of starting a coffee shop and then got redirected to working at the youth center, uh, they couldn't get rid of me. Southside just couldn't get rid of me because we, we love the church so much that we, we're still here. And probably there are people who, what, would you just leave? But we're sticking around, and, uh, and we just love this church. Um, my goal this morning is, is really to take just a short pause. And from, from the series that Ian's been doing, when he asked me if I'd like to speak, he said, you can, you can carry on with the series that we're doing, the great I am statements uh, that Jesus made from the book of John, or you can do your own thing. And, uh, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, I'd like, let's pause, but let's pause sort of intentionally with the series in mind. And uh, so this morning, as I say, we want to do a short pause. Uh, I do say short. Uh, I'm looking at my time, and it is 10.57. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside, and I know, and I have confessed this to many of you before, I can have a tendency to be long-winded. And so on a warm, beautiful, sunny day, I do not want to uh, torment you with a long, drawn-out message. So what I'm really hoping to do is deliver a fairly uh, short, succinct message that just gets us right to the point, challenges us a little, and then lets us leave, uh, hopefully inspired and moved uh, to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Um, So with that in mind, uh, let's just uh, say a quick word of prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Uh, God, we do pause, and uh, we just acknowledge you again uh, in our presence. Uh, You are present within our very lives. You are present in this room. Uh, You are present in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our souls. And, uh, And as we gather as friends, and as we gather as family, and as we gather in your name, Uh, I pray that it would uh, just be uh, a wonderful time, a beautiful time, an honest time, uh, a time to share, a time to uh, be vulnerable, uh, all of the things that we should do as family. Uh, And we do this because uh, because of who you are. We know that you are love. And we know that as uh, your followers, we are to be love. And in that context, uh, there there is no fear. uh, There is no need for pretense. Uh, that we can just come as we are to you and to each other and, uh, and that we can be accepted and cared for and loved in that way. And so we, uh, we just thank you for who you are and uh, we dedicate uh, our, our minds and our hearts and all who we are uh, f- for, the next, uh, for the next moment in time here 
uh, but also uh, throughout our lives and throughout the weeks to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been looking at these great uh, I am statements uh, recorded by John. And uh, as I said in the e-bulletin, these are self-declarations. So these are things not that people are saying about Jesus, but these are statements that Jesus is saying about himself. And then John later is recording these statements because obviously they resonated true with him and he desired to pass on these statements uh, to others. And it's interesting, Ian has made the observation that uh, most of these I am statements are things that, that Jesus, when he probably would have looked at these things as he was uh, walking through Jerusalem, as he was walking and talking with his disciples, as he was teaching, and he would walk by a vineyard, and then he would, he would see that, and he would go, you know, I am the true vine, and he would point to that, and he would use it as a reference point. Uh, and so, so many of these, I think, you know, I am the good shepherd. You can imagine that he was probably hillside and saw a shepherd and a whole bunch of seeds and said, I am the good shepherd. And so he was regularly walking, doing life with his disciples, and then he'd see something, and he'd say, I am that. And it's put me in this place where I ask myself the question, if, if Jesus was in flesh and blood today walking around, what would he point at and say, I am that? And, and I thought, it's, it is, it's an interesting question. Uh, in this room, we have this really fancy coffee maker back there that we don't use on Sundays because apparently we're not good enough for it, only during the week. But uh, we have this really fancy coffee maker. And so I thought, you know, would Jesus say, I am the espresso maker? Like, would he relate himself, you know, one sip and you come to life, right? Would that be like an analogy? I don't know that he would. I know that there are people. How many in this room believe that coffee brings life? Anyone? Yeah. There's definitely, there are ch- cheeks and uh, mouth muscles that do not move up in our family until coffee has been uh, consumed and then life happens. And so I know, but would he say, you know, I am the great espresso maker? Um, I wondered, would he say, I am the great smartphone, you know, I am a great app, one touch and the world is before you. Would he use a phone to, to illustrate who he is? What would he look at? I don't know. You guys probably have some of your own ideas as well. I think one of the things that stands out to me, though, is that all of the things that he points to, they are all things that are living, And so I don't know that he would point to an espresso maker. I don't know that he would point to an iPhone because they're not actually things that are living. And the things that Jesus often pointed to are things that are living or things that referenced life. The way John talks about God in the scriptures is really, really interesting. I don't know about you, but again... Hopefully you guys ask yourselves questions of faith. Hopefully you guys ask yourselves these, and sometimes, you know, we can pretend that we're always deep and philosophical, but sometimes you just ask, like, really basic questions. And one of the questions I ask myself is, what would it have been like to actually walk with Jesus' flesh and blood? What would that have been like? And, and I can only imagine that it would have been absolutely amazing, breathtaking, as you sat under his teachings, as you watched him have care and compassion for people, as, as he performed miracles, as he fed the thousands, uh, I, I imagine it would be absolutely mind-blowing, uh, mind boggling to the mind. And I can only imagine uh, that you would just be in awe that you are in the presence of God. And, and so if I was John, and if that was me, and I was walking with Jesus, 
I would be shouting from the rooftops that I have been walking with God. I have been walking with the creator of the universe. I have been walking with the holy of holies, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is God. I have been walking with God. Would you not be like, hey, if God showed up, literally, tell me, if God showed up today in the flesh and blood and then you tweeted about it or you went on Facebook, would you not be like, I was just in the presence of God? Yes? Right. Okay, good. Will you? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, I think you would. Maybe you wouldn't go on Facebook, but I think you would. Um, but then what John does, I'm just going to read a little bit from First John. This is what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. It's fascinating to me that John has spent all this time with Jesus, God in the flesh, and what he begins his gospel with, and he does the same thing in the other gospel as well, is he talks about life. We were in the presence of life. Life came to us. Life walked around with us. And what I want you to catch this morning is that as we're looking at these great I am statements, and as we are followers of Jesus, we are talking about life. And I think sometimes we can get really ahead of ourselves because I, and I always say, please accept the fact that I'm being analytical and not critical, I hope. Uh, my goal is to be analytical and not critical. But I think sometimes the church gets all too wrapped up in trying to convince people of what they should believe and that we should be so concerned about having the right thinking that sometimes we miss the mark and we don't actually consider what people care about. We don't actually consider uh, what actually is, is stirring within the soul of a human being. And so when John, so I don't feel like I'm being uh, heretical or dangerous at all here, because if John, being in the presence of Jesus, God himself, begins to introduce Jesus as life, we were in the presence of life, then I think we, as Christians, can begin to t have the freedom to talk to people about life. Because I don't know about you, but most of the people around me who are not uh, believers, who are not faithful you know, to following Jesus, what have you, most of them are not waking up in the morning going, boy, do I have to get my relationship right with Jesus. Most of them are not. Most of them are not waking up and saying, boy, do I need to get my life right with God. Most of them are not. But I can tell you a lot of them are waking up and going, boy, do I need to get my life together. Boy, do I not understand why this just happened. Boy, do I not understand why this person is treating me this way. People are asking questions of life all the time. And I think, again, the danger for us as Christians who, who know, uh, one person put it, the conversation of faith is an A to Z conversation. 
And we, as Christians, often start the conversation around M, because we are at M or beyond. But a lot of people are at A. And so if, if we start the conversation sort of going right to the deep theological truths that people need to know, and you have to have this all straightened out before we start talking about life, I think we're missing the mark. Because Jesus, all of the reference he makes to himself are references about life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection, which is all about life. I am the beginning and the end, which is about life. These things were all about life. And so I think we need to enter into the conversation with Jesus, and we need to think about how we can represent that life. Let me qualify really quickly here. For those of you who uh, are definitely more left brain than right brain, and you're saying, yeah, but we've got to have right thinking, we've got to make sure that our teaching's right and all that kind of stuff, I agree with you. And actually, the scripture says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? So this isn't, this isn't a, a disassociation of let's, let's leave our brains behind and let's just kind of get ooey and gooey and, and, and not think about what actually matters. But it's just saying that Jesus himself... And then the disciples who then present Jesus going out. Life is such an important message that they're speaking, that this is about life. And I just think as Christians, we need to, as we are thinking about how we're representing God, we need to be thinking about how are we representing life? Because we know that in God is our life, how we're representing it. Okay, here's the second point. Are you willing to have people follow your life? So again, in the e-bulletin, you know, Jesus is making all these self-declarations about himself. And then we know that that time comes when he asks Simon Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter gets it right. And then Jesus says, there's no way you did that on your own. You must have had help. In other words, referring to the Holy Spirit, because Peter never rarely got it right. Um, so Jesus is like, there's no way you did that on your own. So you must have had help, so, but you are right. But I think there is a, a, a real genuineness to, we all have to answer that question. Everybody, anyone that's ever been born will have to answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? But again, to take a step back from that, I want us to ask the question, who do people say you are? Because it's really, really important to remember that a lot of people will never see Jesus or look for Jesus. A lot of people will never see God or look for God, but they may very well, in fact, see you. And you may be the only conduit into which they may connect to God. So the question is, are you willing to have people follow your life? There's a story, um, and again, probably most of you are very familiar with it. If I can get my phone to work here. And it's the story of uh, Paul in Athens. And I'll start uh, this story actually at the end, and then we'll maybe go circle back really quickly. So, so Paul has been in Athens, uh, and he is. this is at the end of verse 17, and it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead. What's the resurrection about? Life, right? It's about life. What's the resurrection about? It's about life. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. It's not a very good response. Hopefully none of you are sneering this morning. Uh, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. 
So there are some that just wrote them off and they're like, it's ridiculous. There are others that said, we're intrigued. Let's keep talking. And that said, it's Paul left the council, but then it says, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. We like to reinterpret the Bible to say the things that we wanted to say. There are so many places in Scripture where, where and, and I'm guilty of this too, where we read a passage of Scripture and like collectively in the room, everyone's going, yeah, amen, amen. And I don't, and truly I have no idea what I'm amening because I don't understand what I'm reading. And so we sometimes do this, yeah, amen, amen. But this is, a, this is a weird verse in that, that it's saying Paul left the council and some of them became followers of who? Paul. Are they supposed to be followers of Paul? No, who, do, who are they supposed to be followers of? Jesus, right? But, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say they became followers of Jesus. It said they became followers of Paul. And so it's, it's fascinating to me that even in the scriptures, we, again, we see examples of the fact that people may not have been ready. Some of them sneer. They're like, that's just garbage. We have no time for that. And others were intrigued. And they're like, you know what? That's interesting. And then others actually became followers, but not followers of Jesus. They were followers of Paul. They wanted to rub shoulders with him. They wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to hear more about the teachings. And f- with no question again, Jesus is all wrapped up into that. But they were not followers of Jesus at that point in time. They were followers of Paul. If you go back to the beginning of, of this story uh, of Paul in Athens, it begins by saying, while he was waiting for them in Athens, uh, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. I think... Perhaps what Paul, what this we could interpret here, is Paul was greatly distressed that people were putting their hope in hopeless things. I think we could say Paul was distressed that people were trying to find life where life couldn't be found, in dead idols. And so being distressed, it says, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. That, once again, is sort of an odd statement because it's saying that he was distressed that the, that the city is full of idols. And he wants to reach those people. And what does he do? He goes to the religious people. And, and what is described, and I'm just going to confess right here that I heard this teaching from, from someone that I kind of follow. His name's Erwin McManus. I think he's a fantastic preacher. He's a great author. And he's inspired my faith throughout the years. And he said what's fascinating in this verse is that Paul first goes to the first place. The first place is the comfortable place. This is, for many of us, this is our first place, right? We come, to, we come to this place, we gather, we know each other, Al makes fun of me. It's wonderful, right? Like, we become family. This is the place that we are most comfortable. And we can work out our faith together. And, and if people come in and they want to work out their faith with, with us, then that should be a safe place and a wonderful place for them to come in and do that. And regardless of whether they believe all the right stuff or what have you, that they are welcome in this community. This is our first place and people can be welcomed into this place. But then it says, he also went into the marketplace. So the marketplace is, this, is, is ultimately the second place. So if I could use days of the week, uh, the first place is Sunday. And really important point, we don't, we don't go to church to escape the world. Uh, we go to church to prepare ourselves to go into the world, right? This isn't just a retreat and escape and hide. This is come and prepare so that we can go out. So if the first place is Sunday, the marketplace is Monday to Saturday. It's where you work. It's in your neighborhoods. It's playing, you know, with your kids' sports. It's all of those types of things. It's in that place. And it says, he went into the marketplace day by day, 
and he began to have conversations. And again, there are people that, that mock him. It says some people were saying, you know, what is this babbler trying to say? And then people are saying, I think he's advocating a foreign god. Um, but then it was really interesting because a few of them say, you were bringing some strange ideas to our ears. Are we willing to confess that, that Jesus is a bit of a strange idea? Could we? I mean, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, our faith is that God, eternal, all creator, heavens and earth from the beginning to the end, showed up in something like this. It's, it's, it is faith. It is, a, it is no stretch of comprehension. So as we begin to talk about, again, it's really important that we realize that, that these are not necessarily easy things. We sh- if we go out and we say, you know, hey, we want to talk about Jesus. Oh, yeah, that guy's great, and I fully believe. No, like, Jesus is a stretch to our comprehension, and it's a stretch to many people's comprehension. So again, uh, so the people say to him, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. When I read that, I'm just, I'm thinking, that's our world. That's our culture. That's our society today. That's Milton today. But then they say, but we'd like to know what they mean. And then they invite him. And I'm, I'm, I've worked on this word so much. The areop, no, I'm getting it wrong. Areopagus, yes, the areopagus, which is the place where they philosophize, the place that they talk. And, and again, what Erwin observed was that what was happening was there was that they were actually inviting Paul into their first space. So he starts in his first space, what's comfortable to him. He goes out into the marketplace uh, where it's just sort of the general population, so to speak. And then as people hear and as people are intrigued, they say, hey, come into our space now because we want you to talk in here. What What an amazing movement that is. And I think Ian has talked many times about how we not only need to be great hosts, but we also have to be those who are willing to accept hospitality. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. And Paul moves in, and he begins to speak in their context, and he begins to share with them who Jesus is as they're worshiping even unknown gods. I'll tell you who this unknown god is because I know him personally. And after that, again, we get to the bottom of the passage, and it's some some sneered, it's garbage. Some were intrigued, wanted to hear more, but others actually became followers of Paul. Paul, again... 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow my example as I follow Christ. How many of you would confidently stand up and say to all of your friends, follow my example as I follow Christ? It's a pretty heavy statement. Uh, are we willing to do that? He says it again in Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And I think this is so important Sometimes I go back to uh, my very first Bible. Um, how many of you guys still have your first Bible? Yeah? Cool. Do you ever go back to it and, and just read through it a little bit? Check out highlights? No? Am I the only geek in the house? Yeah? Okay. So sometimes I like to go back to my Bible. Um, I became a Christian around the year, age of 17 years old. Um, there's a great story about how I got my first Bible because I actually road raged. I was going to a party. I road raged because this guy wouldn't let me into the lane that I wanted to. I actually tried to follow him and chase him down. I pulled into uh, my friend's house. 
because he had just driven down this road. So I pulled in the driveway and I actually jumped out of my car and I like ran down the road to try and find this guy. So, and, and I couldn't find him, went back to the house and what I realized that it was a party celebrating the fact that I'd become a Christian and they gave me a Bible. And, and, this, and this is that Bible right here. Um, so it was a really quick lesson. Oh, okay, I guess life transformation still needs to take place. Um, and it still does. But I love going back to it because there's something pure about, about being an early Christian and, and where you are and where your thought life is. And, and one of the very first things I highlighted in my Bible was out of Philippians. And it says uh, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Man, you know, I was so on fire for God when I first became a Christian, and that was it. Like, I wanted to live my life, like, to live is Christ. That's it. I am Jesus as much as I can be to everyone around me. And if I die, and if there's consequences, I don't even care because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I was so pumped. And I feel like in times of my life, I've been there, and in times of my life, I'm like, eh, yeah, to live is life, yeah, whatever. Uh, and then, and we've all been there, right? We all go through different seasons. But I tell you, the more and more, uh, the more and more I, 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 spend time with God, the more and more I spend time with Jesus, the more time I'm in scripture, the more time I spend at the youth center with teenagers that inspire me, uh, I, I am brought back to these simple messages that to live is Christ and to die is gain. How many of you guys have ever been uh, with someone when they pass? It's not a lovely experience, is it? Um, it's, it's a very difficult experience. And yet I have heard from many, many people and I experienced it myself with my dad. And there was such a strange phenomenon that happened. And again, it's, I'm, I know that I'm not on my own because people have said this before. When my dad passed, he had been sick for quite a while, was in the hospital, and we were literally with him as he passed from, not from life to death, but from death to life. And the realization was that he is not here. The second he passed, I was like, that is an imposter. That is a shell. Because my dad, who grew up with all sorts of challenges, physical and internal, what have you, never could run. I knew that he was running. I knew that he was free. I knew that he had been completely set free into life in a way that had never been set before. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And man, oh man, I tell you what, when I die, I really want the people around me to be so sad. Really, right? I mean, come on, if, ever, if everyone's just really happy when you go, uh, that's not very good either, right? I mean, I want, I want some sadness in the room. But at the same time, I want people to look at me and go, he's not here. Just like they did uh, with Jesus when they went to the tomb. He's not here. Just like it did with my dad. He's not here anymore. I want people to look at me and be like, he's more alive than ever before. To live as Christ, die as gain. And I think people need to see this in our lives. I think people want to see that life. And all I'm trying to tell you right now is that people may not be ready to do life with God. 
people may not be ready to do life with Jesus, but they may be ready to do life with you. And you have a wonderful opportunity, an amazing opportunity, a privilege and a gift to be able to represent that life of Jesus to the people around you. It's about life. The last question that I have, and it's just trying to get right to the point again, is if we're life, what are they seeing? If you are representing the life of Christ, what are they seeing? Again, Jesus made these great I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I am the beginning and the end. One of, one of my sort of working ethos of my own life uh, is that whenever I enter a room, my goal is to elevate it. Whenever I enter a room, and I'm not, trust me, I am not perfect at this, uh, but when I enter a room, my goal is that I want to be an encouraging presence in that room. I want to lift other people up. When people walk in that room, I want them to know that they are valued, that they are worthy. I just want to be a positive presence in people's lives. I'll tell you what, in the world of youth work, one encouraging word can be the difference maker, the difference maker in someone's life. Again, as a young teenager who was painfully insecure and was doing everything possible to be liked by my peers, uh, when I went into, uh, and, and then had a major falling out, important to say that, had a major falling out with a whole bunch of my friends. When I went to that youth group, one of the first things the youth pastor said to me, he was like, he was like Mike, you're looking big. And I'd been working out. So I'd been, at that point in time, I know, hard to, what? See, people are laughing at me already. Uh, at that point in time, I was, I was a little bit bigger than I am now, and I'd been working out, and I was in pretty good shape. And, he, and do you know how that made me feel? Do you know, just a simple comment, wow, you look, you look big, you've been working out. Made me feel amazing, right? It was like, wow, yeah, I'm jacked. You know, uh, <laughs> but it did, just a simple encouragement. And I know that we think this is funny, but the truth of the matter is, people are not hearing encouraging words very often. So when the teens walk into the youth center, and we can just find one thing, and usually we can find more than one thing, but we can just find one thing to speak into their life, an encouraging word. Man, you can see, you can almost see some of them come to life as you speak these things. 1 John 2, 6, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him, meaning Jesus, must live as Jesus did. That was another one right out, I have it highlighted, even though I'm reading it off my laptop. That was another one of the highlights from my very first Bible. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the question is, how are they seeing life in you? And it's different. It's different for all of us. Um, your gift may not be encouragement. I feel like one of my gifts is encouragement, that I really w desire and it comes natural to, to encourage people as I speak to them. But there are so many things. There was another time shortly after I became a Christian. I hope I can say this without getting in lots of trouble here, but I went to a bar with some of my friends, <clears throat> and, and I was just sitting there, and I remember one of, one of my peers said to me, he said, wow, they're like, you have changed so much. And I was like, Really? Like, and I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't preaching at them. I was literally just sitting at the table. I said, you have changed so much. I was like, really? Like, why? And they're like, you have so much peace now. They're like, you're so content. 
And I think they were reflecting on the fact that they saw me as the insecure teenager that was desperately trying to be liked by everybody. And then this transition where I found my identity and my, and my true foundation in God. And they were like, you're just so peaceful. You've got such a content, a contentedness about yourself. And, and I thought that was amazing because that wasn't actually, that, I wasn't sitting there trying to, I'm, gonna, I'm going to look like peace to my friends today. I wasn't doing that. But they just saw something, again, that, that wasn't about me. It was about the life that, that was in me now. It was about Jesus within me and this life within. Is it peace? Is it gratitude? Is it generosity? Is it, is it energy and excitement? Is it joy? Is it encouragement? Is it kindness? Is it activism? Um, I'm really unashamed to say that I'm far more interested in sparking life these days than sparking debate or sparking right thinking. Um, I think we're living in a, in, in a day and age where genuinely peop people are struggling, people are searching, people are down. In the youth world, you know, the rise of mental health, uh, depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicidal ideation. I mean, it is, you see the teenagers walking down the road, uh, some of them, their pants are still down to their knees. It's so funny. Uh, but, and, and they look cool, and they look satisfied, and they look like they've got it all together. But boy, if you get a glimpse into their real lives, there's a, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of struggle. Again, anxiety, depression, all those types of things. So the question is, what are people seeing in you? I'm going to pick on a few people in a really nice way. Ann White. Uh, she uh, brings... Uh, baked goods, and all sorts of wonderful things to the youth center every other Friday. Uh, on Friday, she brought pop floats. When was the last time you guys had a float? Like, you know, ice cream and, and pop. And, and she brought, like, she brought the bag, and I, th I knew that there was pop in there. And then we opened it up, and she's brought, like, 20 flavors of pop and what have you. So she's just, like, a, an amazing uh, spread for the youth and what have you. And, and what did Mikey ask you? I think it was Mikey, wasn't it? Mikey Dennis? Doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, that's okay. What did they ask you? Why are you so good to us? That one? That's the one. <laughs> and that's a genuine question. That's not a, you know, flippant, you know, oh, thanks for the thing. That was a genuine question. And Ann and I had a really quick conversation outside afterwards, and she said, I wish I had had a really good answer for that. The reality is, you are answering it every other week when you bring things, and you don't need to provide a really good answer for it. But there is a point in time when you probably will say, you know why I do this? I do it because there's life in me. I do it because Jesus has changed my life, because God, I know that God loves me, and I know that God loves you, and this is just a simple way of showing you that. There's a point in time that you do that. Orville and Lois, uh, last, was I, no, two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Aaron starts playing uh, How Great Thou Art, Everybody else sitting down. You guys stand up. Man, that's life. That's life. That's inspiration to me. I'm sitting at the back at our table, and, and you guys just both, like you both stood. And, and there was nothing, like, whipped up about it. I don't think you leaned over. We need to get everybody standing. Let's stand up. I don't think there was anything whipped up about it. It was just what came out of you. And your, fa your faithfulness to one another, as you, I'm sure that you'd rather get in a car or jog down here or whatever, but your faithfulness to walk down and to be together, you're demonstrating that life, that life that's within you. And I'm certain that if anyone talked to you guys, you would say that it's the life that's, that's happening within you, right? That it's Jesus within you. You don't even have to say it. We just see it. Uh, there's so many other people, Dean and Mary Martin, over and over again, generous, generous, opening up their hearts, opening up 
uh, so many ways to serve the people around them. Uh, this past week, we had a wonderful time together. And again, generosity uh, just overflowing there. Uh, Wayne Bailey, uh, not going to, again, don't want to throw you under the bus or anything, but just an amazing guy who often comes over to me and whispers and saying, hey, how can I help? What can I do? How can I give uh, help out at the youth center? What have you? It's an amazing thing. And everyone in this room, they have gifts. They have life that's bubbling up because of their relationship with God. And, I, and again, all I'm saying is that Jesus has these great I am statements. And these I am statements have changed our lives. They have absolutely changed our lives. But they are about life. And what people are looking for, I think, is life. John says that we've been in the presence of life. And so I, I just wanted to bring us sort of back to, as we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at the I am statements, I just want to bring us back to say, we are that representation. We have that life within us. Probably my favorite verse in the Bible is John 10, 10, where he says, Jesus says himself, I have come that you would have life and have life to the fullest. I am convinced that the mission of God, from John 3.16 to John 10.10 10 to so many other verses, the mission of God was to bring life. I have come that you would have life and you would have it to the fullest. We are doing uh, our spring fundraiser. Uh, Brianna, hey, uh, super cool news. Uh, maybe you saw it on Facebook. Maybe you saw it on Insta or Twitter or I don't know, wherever you hang out. Uh, but uh, Brianna Daigle is now officially on staff at Resoul Youth Center. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So that's super exciting. It's super exciting to me. Uh, she's the very first person I've hired, uh, probably because everyone else ran the other way. Uh, so she's just daring enough to stick it out with me. Um, Brianna, in my opinion, is, is another fantastic story of, of life. And, uh, and, and again, I think I just have this awesome privilege of being in a role where, where as a youth pastor, as a youth worker, what have you, I get to actually step into teenagers' lives and do life with them. And I don't know, my guess is that Brianna would say when she first, as a grade 7 girl, walked into youth group, she probably didn't have everything worked out theologically in her mind. But what she has said is that she saw something in people, and she saw something in me, and she saw something in the youth workers and the volunteers and Pat and Marsha and all the people that was different. She saw life and an energy. And so, she, so, and so she hung out, and she stayed, and she did life with us. And it was that journey of doing life with us where eventually she came to a place and said, you know what, whatever it is you have, I want, and I'm in. And here she is, you know, how many, like, dozens of years later, and, uh, and she's now in a staff position serving at the youth center. And, and, you know, she, once a youth, always a youth, but also now friend and now peer and uh, it's such a cool thing, doing life. We're doing the Resoul Youth Fundraiser today. Uh, we've been running it. Many of you probably get our emails. If you don't get our emails and you'd like to get our emails, go to our website and, and subscribe, whatever. That sounds very, doesn't that sound salesman? Sorry about that. Uh, but do it. Um, there's uh, a board over here. It, this, the fundraiser is very, very simple. If you take a number, uh, you give whatever's on that number. So if you pull 22 off the board, that means you're committing to giving $22. If you pull 
Uh, 10,000, I'm kidding, there's no 10,000. Uh, if you pull whatever number, 105, whatever, then you're committing to give that number. Um, it's a simple fundraiser. We like it because everybody can, can participate um, because the numbers legitimately start at one. Some of them are gone now, but, uh, and they go up to 150, so it's not very taxing on anybody. Everyone can participate. Um, last thing, and then we're going to close. I think I'm, I've been longer than I wanted to be. Uh, but we're still going to get in here a good time. This past week at the Youth Center, uh, we started talking about the Beatitudes. Now, I want you to understand that these are not, the majority of these are not church youth. Um, and so when we open up the Bible and say, okay, now we're going to talk about the Beatitudes, it, it, sometimes it can be a little bit weird. And I also sometimes wonder, I wonder how this is going to go. Um, but I thought, let's, let's start looking at the Beatitudes. And we kind of did the whole, you know, a, a Beatitude is a B-attitude, so it's an attitude that you want coming from within and what have you. And we just started at the beginning. And we said... Um, they're kind of weird again. They're kind of unusual statements. And the very first one, test, test. Uh, anyone know what the very first beatitude is? Shout it out if you do. Yeah. Do you have your Bible open, Al? Yeah. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what's the, what's, the, uh, what's the qualifier? For they shall. What is it? For they shall inherit the kingdom. So I asked the teenagers sitting there, I said, so what do you think it means to be poor in spirit? Because that's kind of a strange sentence, isn't it? Like, what, is, what does it actually mean to be poor in spirit? Shouldn't we be like full of spirit? And, and honestly, I, 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 you know, I like to, we're Canadian. We like to play things cool, right? So it's like you never should be surprised by anything. But, but man, I was sitting there and I was really blown away by these teenagers. And specifically two of them were talking. And one of them said, and again, this is not, this is not, uh, a kid, he does go to Catholic school, but he's not from a Christian family. And he says, I think what it means is that when you recognize that you're not all that, that you don't have it all together, and therefore you need God, or you have to rely on God. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Moved me deep within. And I'm going, here are these teenagers, and, and, and we meant further, again, even just, you know, in some of them being vulnerable and one of them talking about, you know, uh, experiences of death and then suicide in their family. And, and, and it went to some pretty deep places with some of them. But again, we look, they're craving life. And I didn't even have to explain it. I, I did like a Google search on poor in spirit and what does this mean, all that kind of stuff, right? Just to make sure I'm, you know, being, again, right thinking does matter. So I did, I did want to make sure I'm on the right track. But just out of his heart, out of his soul, out of his own life, he goes, I think it means that we just recognize that we're not good enough, that we're broken and, and we need God. And he was like, you just hit the nail on the head, man. And, uh, and that's, that's what, what we seek to do at the youth center. That's what we should all be seeking to do with the people around us. Uh, Jesus came and said, I am life, I am life, I am life, I am life, I am life. And I want to give life to you and to you and to you and to you. And now we have that life. And we have this amazing opportunity to rub shoulders with the people around us to be that life so that they might come to know the life as well. Jesus spoke about life. Are you willing to be followed as life? How are people following? What are they seeing? Important to uh, remember that as we are... Uh, as we are those that are bearing life within and, and desiring to show life to others, uh, that we also recognize how much we need God for this. And uh, 
I think uh, last last week uh, my mum uh, was a rock star. At least that's what I call her. Uh, she uh, spoke at Bramley Baptist Church and just shared her beautiful, honest, vulnerable uh, story of of many crises in life, uh, and yet the fact that God has been faithful to her. And uh, and again, it's not. The life that we carry doesn't have to be a false pretense life. It's not that all is great and wonderful. It's just an honest, it's an honesty about that there is a life within us. And whether it's in the best of times or the worst of times, uh, it's still there. And, uh, and I think we have a great opportunity to show others who Jesus is, not just, again, in our wholeness, but in our brokenness. It might be even probably a better place to do so. Uh, 